Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. That's my son-in-law. Did you know that? Ben, you know, we're, we're a generational... As it says on the wall, we are a generational community. You saw all these young folks leading in worship. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the old guard around here, and my job is to pass the baton to the next generation and to try to do it well. I think sometimes uh, it's hard to do that well, and I'm praying that I'll be able to do it well. I'm praying that we'll be able to do it well as a church because if we don't go beyond this generation, we don't have any hope, right? The gospel is something that is alive and active, and we want to invest that. That's why we have kids programs, that's why we do VBSs, that's why we're going out to do this sports camp. We're going after the next generation. And the gospel is powerful, the gospel is real, and we want to be a family that welcomes and encourages this great conversation, a God conversation between ourselves and others, between generations, between ourselves and our neighbors and our friends where we live and work and play, so that we can share and show the authentic love of Christ, as it says on our vision there. That's what we want to be about. And that's what this series has been about, Love, Sex, God. This is a relevant topic in our culture, right? It's always, it's in our face in the media. Politicians are dealing with legal issues in this area all the time. And it's talked about. Uh, it's all over our campuses. It's everywhere. And you know what? The church has been pretty silent in this area. From my perspective, we, we haven't really proclaimed it very well. And so when we come out with a sex conversation in the church, many times it comes out as piecemeal. It comes out of fear. It, it comes out judgmental because we're talking about a specific aspect. And we haven't painted the whole picture of why God created this beautiful gift and he gave it to us. And that's why we've been in the Song of Songs. 3,000-year-old Hebrew poem in the Old Testament tucked into the wisdom literature this beautiful poem about sexual attraction, romantic love. This couple comes together, and we've been following through, through this beautiful adventure. And as they've been doing this, they have been telling us this story that comes from the very beginning of the Bible. That sex is a good, good attraction is good, and God has given us this incredible relationship that he calls marriage so that we can experience the fullness of of what that is all about. And you guys have been texting in your, your questions to us, and we've been trying to respond. Uh, this week, we got, last week, we got a question from, I think, someone of the next generation, in terms of my perspective, probably a young, young adult. And here is the sex question that this person asks. Advice for young adults regarding sex before marriage. We live in a time where sex is seen more as a pastime, an activity, convenience, rather than an act usually reserved for holy marriage. How can we, as young adults and children of God, actively live out the gospel in our culture today? How can we envision our future and current relationships in this understanding of God's plan for sex? This is a great question. And as I think about the answer to that question is I've had to raise three girls in my home and send them out to a culture that doesn't value and doesn't have the same sexual values and the same sexual vision that I have as, as a follower of Christ. How do we do this well? And I would point you to somebody that I think is young and that is doing it well, that is leading 
in a cultural conversation from his platform. He's the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Anybody know who the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks is? What's his name? Russell Wilson. And if you go on the internet and Google Russell Wilson, you'll see that he has proclaimed his vision for sexuality within the context of marriage. And he has made a public statement. He's dating a gal called Sierra, I think her name is. And she's a famous personality, artist. And they have publicly proclaimed abstinence. They said, you know, sex is something that we're saving for a committed relationship. And Russell was interviewed about this recently. And he said, I'll never forget the time when God spoke to me about this. I was sitting in her dressing room, and she was getting ready to go out about 15 minutes before she went on stage. And uh, sitting right there, God said to me, I want you to lead her. I want you to lead her. And I was like, really, right now? What do you mean, God? And he said, God said, God told me to lead her in the area of relationship and purity and human sexuality. That's what he heard from God. And I asked her right, right afterwards, what, what would it look like to you if we took all that stuff off the table and did, did it the Jesus way? No sex in our relationship. He said that to her right up front. Hey, I, I want to do this relationship without sex. And she responded and honored that because she obviously is someone that is open to the gospel and following God's leading as well. And so they've come together. They, they don't call it dating. They're, they're, they're sweethearts and they're living in abstinence and they're exploring the relationship in a pure way. Um, they're getting a lot of ridicule for this on the media. They're getting a lot of pushback. People are making fun of them all over the place. But they're using this to proclaim their faith. And it says... Um, this is what she says about it. It was an organic thing for him, and I think he just, he's just being honest about where he, he is. It's cool when you get to build a foundation with someone on how much you care for them and really know about each other versus just having sex. And, and this is a great statement that answers that young person's question. In my mind, if you want to maintain this vision for sex, right, continue to renew your mind with what the Bible says about it, right? Continue to have a vision, a God-centered vision for human sexuality and marriage and keep that in the forefront of yourself, right? Uh, Russell Wilson has a vision. He has a picture of what sex looks like in a covenant marriage, and he's holding out for that. And he's keeping that vision in front of himself, and he's making a public proclamation. Young people, if you want to walk in abstinence, you need to stand up for it, right? Right? What did I do with all of my young girls when they were 15 years old? I took a ring and I put it on their finger. And we had a ceremony where we bless them and pray for them. And I said, you know what? This ring is about your purity. It's about your hope for a marriage, the one that I've shared with your mother. And I'm putting this ring on to remind you that publicly we're we're making a covenant right now. That you're going to hold out for the one that God calls you. And you're not going to have sex until you find that one. And you know what? That powerful public proclamation, and my girls have talked about that all the way through. They, they've dated, and they said, no, we're not going to have sex. Ask Ben Appleby. He had to suffer through that. <laughs> he knows. He knows the conversations we had, right? Hey, dude, don't touch my daughter. I'm taking your arm, man. <laughs> but what I'm saying is you've got to make it public. You've you got to draw a line in the stand. You've got to step up for what you believe because that public commitment means something powerful to you. And that actually allows you to to fulfill that. Get your friends involved. Young men who walk in purity, I know, have other men in their life that are mentoring them, that are praying for them, that they can be honest about their struggles. This is not an easy thing in our culture. 
And so we can't do it without community. We can't do it without prayer. We can't do it without honest mentors in our lives, right? So you need a vision, and you need a place to participate, a church, a community. And you need to date somebody, and I wouldn't even date till later on. What, what people call dating today, I think, is just friendship. In high school, hey, girls, have friendships, but don't date. Dating is for thinking about marriage. And so date someone with a common vision. Hey, we're, we're dating to think about marriage, not about sex. And have that conversation before you get into it. There's some practical ideas as someone that's had to try to walk through this with their daughters and want to encourage you. And if you young adults want to talk more about that, mentorship, I think a mentor is great in this area. Having someone who's been married and can teach you and talk to you about what it really means to have a, a godly marriage and where sex works in a relationship, that's, we're all about that. So that's my answer to you. Hopefully that helps. And you know what? This couple is proclaiming it because they're saying, man, we are deeply in love. And the Song of Solomon opens up with this big, bold statement about attraction, sexuality, the physical relationship. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Reference to the bridal chamber. And so the opening of this book has been about sex is a gift from God. Sex is good. Physical attraction is good. Uh, it's a song about the gift of sexual intimacy and how God has created us and given us those God-given desires and how can we play them out in a healthy, holistic way. And that comes through this beautiful gift of marriage and this idea of oneness. We've been going back to the book of Genesis. We're going to go back today because I want to finish our series. And again, there's a lot more practical advice. If this is just, you're just jumping into this series for the first time, if you want to know more about the practicalities of sex and dating and romance. There's five podcasts on our website. You can listen all the way through. But we're going to stop the series today and end with the biggest why. Why is this all there? Why did God give us the gift of sexuality? Why did God give us desires and drives? Why did God give us this beautiful marriage idea? What's the reason for it all? And the book ends with that reason because the book begins with romance, but you know what it ends with? It ends for a cry for love. See, the reason behind all of this, our humanity, the image of God in us, the fact that we are human beings with bodies and souls, the fact that we have desires and we want to come together is because we deeply want to be loved. We want to be fully known, we want to be fully understand, and we want to have a relationship where somebody knows us fully at the core for who we are and loves us and commits to us. People that come together, people that are attracted, people that have sexual desires, find out that they naturally start to make commitments and covenants. They naturally start to say, I love you. Do you love me? Will you love me? That's the key question that's deep within the soul. And look at what this woman says at the end of their, their they, get, they get married, they go on a honeymoon, they're coming back. This is the end of the book. And what does she ask for? What is, what is the desire of her heart? I want love. I'm not in this just for sex. This is not just a piece of paper, this marriage contract. No, I did this all because I long to be loved. And to be known is a cry for the power of deep, intimate 
fulfilling and never-ending love. What do all the love songs say? Give me endless love. Give me everlasting love. I want love. And she says, place me like a seal over your heart. Like a seal on your arm. This permanent seal. This is something etched in concrete or stone. A seal. I want this to be permanent. Uh, for your love, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. And if one were to give the wealth of one's whole house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Love is the most powerful drive that we know, and love is the thing that we're all looking for. And she's longing and looking for that. And if we go back to the beginning of creation, right? Why God did all this in Genesis chapter 2. He created the man. And before he created the woman, he said, It is not good for man to be alone. I didn't create you for loneliness. I didn't create you to be just this individual, self-centered, self-absorbed person. I created you so that you would know my love and experience my love. And so he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm making him someone to walk alongside him, right? He creates the woman out of Adam's rib, right? Symbolically, co-equal before the Father, co-equal before God, walking together in this partnership of love. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She was taken out of me. And then he gives the why behind marriage. Suddenly we're introduced to this idea of marriage. They were man and woman, and now we get this idea of marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, cleaves. The the word there is glue, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were one. They were one before God, one before each other, and they were naked and they felt no shame. This is the, the, the reason why God gives us relationships. The reason why God gives us the marriage idea and the covenant. The reason why God gives us sexual attraction and intimacy to bring us together is because he wants us to be able to experience his love. That's the reason behind it all, Right? And so the phrase brought her to the man. You know, the rabbis had a field day with this phrase because this is language that's used in a Jewish wedding. This is bridal language. This is, this is marriage terminology. And so God was acting in a way when he brought the woman to the man the way that a father would act. When I walked my daughter Riley down the aisle and I presented her to Ben, God is walking this woman metaphorically down the aisle and presenting her to her future husband, right? This is a marriage ceremony. The beginning of the Bible is a marriage ceremony. The end of the Bible is a marriage ceremony. God uses this metaphor powerfully to tell us about why he created us and what he desires from us and for us. Adam responds with a why, becoming one. The sexual union, the sexual act, the sexual blessing is a celebration. It's symbolic of their union together. The merging of their natures. They're becoming one, right? 
And if you talk to married couples that have been married for longer than 20 years, they get beyond 30, all of a sudden they start to, you know, Kathleen will sometimes finish my sentences because she knows exactly what's going to come out of my mouth, right? Sometimes I'll be thinking Kathleen's thoughts because I know her thoughts because we're one, we've been together for so long. Sometimes when Kathleen starts to hurt, I start to feel it, right? Because we're one. And married couples talk about this, right? They start to understand each other at such a level they're like merged. And this is the idea of intimacy and oneness and safeness, a place of nakedness and no shame. It is symbolic of the oneness that they share. Marriage becomes a picture of more than just sex more than just a piece of paper or a contract, more than just a ceremony. It is a place where we can experience something deeper and more wonderful. Actually, a love relationship with God, an understanding of how God wants to relate to us. The marriage metaphor is now taken throughout Scripture and one of the key symbols that God uses to talk about His relationship with His people. Right? Let's look at this. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament, God gets a bad rap, I think. He's, he's an angry judge. He's a cosmic lawgiver. He's, he's booming the law. He's giving us all these rules and regulations, right? He's no fun. He's a killjoy. When in fact, when you look at the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, do you know what it follows? A Jewish marriage ceremony. A Jewish person understood when they, they read this and the way it was, the words that were used and what was happening is that God was marrying his people. He's not a cosmic lawgiver. He's a cosmic lover. And he wants to be married to us. Look at this language from Mount Sinai. When he brings them, he frees them from slavery from Egypt. He brings them through the mountain. And he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, through Moses, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with my max of judgment... I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The giving of the law is couched in betrothal imagery. The procession of the giving is like a marriage ceremony in ancient Israel and Judaism, right? Wedding language is all over it. I want you to see this. God is not making just a proclamation. He's making a proposal to Israel. He wants to be married to them. The word take is the word lakah. It is the first part of a wedding ceremony where the groom pronounces his desire to take the woman as his bride. God is saying, I want to take you as my bride. I want you to be my very own. It's the first step, step of a Jewish wedding or ceremony. The groom would pronounce this publicly to everyone involved. God is publicly proclaiming to the nations at Sinai, I am taking Israel as my very own as my lover, as my bride. That's what he's saying as you move forward in this account. At Sinai, God is marrying his people. Here's as it goes on in Exodus 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning and a thick cloud covered the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast happened. 
This is all bridal language. As God is making this marriage covenant with his people, God is using the same language that would have been used in a Hebrew bridal ceremony. Okay? The first word there, possession, I'm taking you as possession, that's called segula. That's a part of the Jewish wedding ceremony where after the, the groom takes the bride and says, I take you as my bride, he makes a public proclamation of her chosenness and treasuredness. I'm taking you as my treasured possession. You are my chosen bride. That's called segula. Then he has them do a ritual bath, right? Take the people and have them consecrate themselves. Wash their clothes. Get ready for, to hear this covenant and make this proclamation. Well, what does a Jewish bride do on the night before she's married? She takes a ritual bath, right? She bathes herself. She purifies herself for the marriage ceremony. It's called a mikvah. Anybody heard of a mikvah? Anybody say mik- mikvah, mikvah. That's this, this preparation and ritual bath. And God has his people go through a ritual purity preparation. He is preparing them for this relationship to be his bride. The cloud comes over the mountain, right? A symbol of God's presence. God is present at this ceremony. Where is that symbol seen in the Jewish marriage ritual and ceremony, the betrothal ceremony? It's called a hoopah. Anybody seen a hoopah before at a Jewish wedding? Does anybody know what a hoopah is? It's a Jewish prayer shawl. And when a Jewish couple in a traditional ceremony gets married, they put a prayer shawl over them with four sticks. They create a hoopah, okay? And this is a symbol of God's presence. God is present here and blessing this relationship. As a matter of fact, uh, the sexual union is seen as sanctimonious and holy as, as, as the marriage is happening and later it's consummated, okay? This cloud over the mountain is God's hoopah. It's God's presence as the the marriage ceremony is happening with him and his people. And finally, uh, we see God doing the most important thing, uh, making promises and vows. He is this cosmic lover. And as, as the ceremony goes on at Sinai, we see the most important thing, right? That God proclaims the Ten Commandments. Well, in a marriage ceremony... Do you know in the Jewish setting, there's a marriage contract. It's called a ketubah, okay? The ketubah was the written agreement that governed the marriage relationship. If a traditional Jewish couple gets married, they actually take the ketubah and they put it on their wall. Just like you might put a vision statement in modern terms about what your family's about. They put the ketubah, which spells out the marriage obligations and duties, right on the wall of their house so it can be there all the time, right? Well, what is God's ketubah? It's the law, right? He's proclaiming the promises and vows of the law. The expectations of a bride and groom, which were posted on the wall, demonstrated that the marriage is a covenant. It's a commitment. It's it's a promise that I'm going to keep, and I'm going to have fidelity to that, right? Two equal parties committing to sacrifice and serve each other for the rest of their life. This is why God marries his people. He wants us to see our relationship with him as a covenant relationship, right? We see the new covenant, the old covenant. This is what is the imagery that God's using. The law is couched in bridal language. God says, here's the ketubah. I'm the Lord your God. I'm your husband who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other lovers before me. No other gods before me. No other lovers. This is a sacred covenant of fidelity we're getting married 
The law is couched in bridal language. Do you guys see that? Isn't this amazing? Many times we as Christians, we miss this whole thing. We miss the love behind the law and why God is bringing this to, to his people. As you move forward throughout the Old Testament, God uses marriage imagery throughout the whole thing. Here is a time in Jeremiah where God's people have walked away from the relationship. And God, through the prophet, uses the marriage imagery again. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery. Adultery, that's marriage language, right? Adultery. But God is saying, my people have committed adultery. We're married, and they've committed adultery. They've gone after other lovers, right? She has done this, uh, excuse me, on every high element, committed adultery. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her, and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adultery. See, God is saying he's equating idolatry, the seeking and worshiping of other gods, with adultery. Because he sees himself as married to his people. Do you see this imagery from the beginning all the way through the Old Testament? Here's another place. The book of Hosea. Hosea is an amazing book. Anybody ever read the book of Hosea? It's about a prophet that God asked to marry a prostitute. Can you imagine that calling? And she's going to be unfaithful to you, but I want you to love her, even though she's going to have tons of other lovers. This is a picture of my relationship with my people who have walked away from me and are faithless to the covenant. And God says, I want her back. That is God's heart for people. Therefore, I'm going to allure her, Israel. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came out of Egypt when we first got married, right? In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband again, right? You will call me your husband. And he says, you will no longer call me master. See, God's heart is a heart of relationship a heart of love. He wants to have an intimate marriage relationship with us, right? God wants intimacy with his people. There's the picture of why God gave us sexual union and marriage, right? It's playing out. And then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus picks it up again. Jesus with his disciples on the night before he went to the cross This is a famous passage. We've heard it read many, many times, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms, right? You know, this is part of a Jewish marriage ceremony. This is what happens with the groom and a bride after after the the betrothal, the beginning of it, you know? After after the the contract is signed, after they agree to be with each other, the young Hebrew boy would go off back to his father's house, and they would be legally married for a year, but yet they wouldn't have sex, because they were betrothed to each other? This is all a part of that ceremony that the Jews would have heard when Jesus was saying this. On the night before he's betrayed, he's saying to his people, he's saying to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. My Father's house, there are many rooms. Right? This is what, this is what a Jewish groom would say to his betrothed when I'm going back to make a place so we can be married forever. I'm going to build a house on Dad's house, and I'm going to come and get you when it's ready, and we're going to be together forever right? And so he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also be may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. 
And obviously Jesus is the way. But this language is the language of love. The language of betrothal. The language of marriage. And God is saying that to us, his people. Uh, that, that I'm going to come back and receive you. And we're going to be together forever. God desires a relationship with his people. Heaven is not so much about a place but a personal, intimate relation with, with the God who created us, the God who gave us all these pictures, all these physical pictures, all these things that we go through are to point us to a bigger story. A bigger See, Russell Wilson understands that marriage is not just about marriage and sex is not just about sex. It's a part of a bigger story, and it teaches us about who I am before my God. And it teaches me about the relationship that he so desires for me. It's a part of a bigger story. That's why it's so powerful and so life-giving. It's, marriage is not just about marriage. It's about a love affair with God. See, the Bible begins with a marriage ceremony, and it ends with a marriage ceremony. When Jesus comes back, the book of Revelation, look at the bridal imagery between God and his people. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, from God, prepared as a bride, right? We're God's bride. We're God's people. That's not about a building. That's about a community of people, the holy city, God's people, dressed as her husband, okay? God will, is our lover, and he wants to be with us forever. So that's the big point of the whole book of the Song of Solomon, right? We talked about sex. We talked about how to have good sex. We talked about why sex. We talked about marriage and the, the, you know, how to chase the foxes out of the vineyard, how to have good communication, how to have all that stuff. But if that's all it is, we've missed the big point of the whole thing. The big point is that marriage is a picture of God's love for us. When we make a covenant right? It's not just between me and Kathleen. It's between me and Kathleen and God. God is in the center of that covenant, right? And the the way that I relate to Kathleen, my wife, in 37 years teaches me about the way I relate to God. And the way that I draw near to God and relate to him teaches me about how we relate to Kathleen. That's the big story. That's why Paul says marriage reveals this incredible mystery that Jesus came to give us the gospel, his love for us, for this reason. That's Genesis, right? We just talked about that in Genesis 2. Now, all the way into the New Testament, Paul goes back and said, all throughout the Bible, it's been about marriage, but it's been about God's love for you. That's the why behind marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. What? I thought you were just talking about marriage. No, I'm talking about Christ and his church. That's what marriage is the picture of. That's what marriage prepares us for. That's what marriage teaches us, how to have an intimate covenant love relationship with God. That is the beautiful gift. Marriage is not just an agreement, right? It's not just some contract. It's not just a legal document, right? It's not just a piece of paper. And marriage is not just two individuals trying to get along, right? Just teach me how to get along, how to have better communication, how so my wife and I don't fight. That's all I just want you to fix me so I don't fight with my wife. You know, help her, tell her to have sex with me more so I can be more fulfilled. 
We take such a low view of a marriage. Marriage is about so much more. It's about a bigger story and a bigger picture. It's a picture of something bigger. It's God's show and tell to the earth and to the community around us. Why do we do public ceremonies? Why is that so important? Why do we even need a piece of paper? I just want to go live with someone. So many people just live together and don't get married. Why do we do this? Because you're telling a bigger story to the whole world around you, right? You're making a proclamation of the gospel when you get married and you stay together. You're telling a story of Jesus' love for a sinful, broken church. Every time I forgive Kathleen, I'm telling the story of how God has forgiven me. Every time she forgives me, the grace of Jesus touches my heart in a way that's never happened before. And I understand that I'm married to God. I'm one with Jesus. And he loves me that much to give me this human frail thing to point me to a bigger story that one day I will be with him forever. I just buried a woman at sea that was in a love relationship with a man. And he loved her so much. And I got to use John 14, and because of John 14, he realizes that he, he wants to be married to Jesus Christ, that the gift of this woman and this woman who came to Jesus before he died, the whole reason behind that story is because God wants to be married for him forever, and he wants to give his life to Jesus Christ. See, marriage tells a story, and so couples today, I just love you couples that have been married for 10 and 20 and 30 and beyond because every day that you commit, every day you fulfill your vows, you're telling the story to an unbelieving world. The unbeliever can't believe that you're still married. They can't believe that you're still going because they're being taught that marriage is some convenience consumer product and if you're not getting what you want, just throw it away. Tear it up, throw it away and get a new one. And when you get up and say, no, 40, I'm going for another 10, you say no to the world and yes to the gospel. Let's give these marriages a hand. That have been, look at these guys right here. These guys right here, right? Many, many marriages. 62 years. Anybody, anybody want to top that one? 62 years. Anybody else? That's amazing. You know what? The next generation needs to know that there's something worth holding out for, guys. They need to know. My daughter, when I told her, if I didn't stay married to Kathleen, that ring was a bunch of junk. But because I've stayed married and we keep going, my daughter, I said, there's something worth holding out for, and it's way bigger than sex. It's way bigger than a big wedding with a ceremony. It's about a man and a woman for life and experiencing God's gospel right where I live. That's the picture of marriage. That's worth holding out for. That's worth dying for. And every day we do that, we get to tell the world the story of the gospel. That's the why behind marriage. That's why God loves us so much that he gave us this gift. And singles, you're with us on this adventure. Because every time you say no, and you say, no, I'm holding out, you're proclaiming the same thing. You're saying, I'm waiting for something better. I'm waiting for a covenant. I'm waiting for the right person. You're telling this Russell Wilson is absent, and he's telling the same story through his abstinence. And so you are with us, and we are with you in this. God is always about loving us and bringing us into a love relationship with him. And so as the band comes up, we prepare our hearts to take communion. You know when Jesus had this meal. It was a meal about a covenant, And he said, this covenant is new now because of my body and blood, right? I'm fulfilling 
the promises and vows that you gave me that you couldn't keep. I'm going to fulfill them for you. Isn't that amazing? None of us could keep our promises and vows before God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And Jesus says, I'm going to keep my covenant. I'm going to keep your covenant. I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to shed my body and blood so that we can be one and be married forever. And the Bible says when we accept Jesus Christ, we are united with him. We are one with him. We are married with him forever, right? The Bible says, I am united with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is marriage. This is oneness. This is union. This is what it all points to is the fact that we are one with Christ, right? And I no longer live. That's marriage, right? I die to myself so I can be one with Kathleen and allow that new thing to come in out of us. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. This is our lover here. This is our husband who said, I've given my life for you so that we could be one, right? And so that means that I am in Christ and I'm a new creation. And the old life is gone and now the new life has come, right? And so I am in Christ, his death, his body and blood. That's what this table celebrates, that I have been forgiven, I've been covered, I've been cleansed by by my beautiful husband, Jesus Christ. And Christ is in me, right? I'm not just in him, but he is in me. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another one, an advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he will be inside you. God is inside us now. Through the Holy Spirit, we are one with him, and he will be with you forever. This is marriage. We come to this table and celebrate our marriage with Jesus. We are with him. We are one with him forever. We thank God for our, our marriages. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for all this stuff. But ultimately, I think that I'm married to him, and we are one. Let's bow our heads and celebrate this meal. Jesus, thank you for bringing us this table. Thank you for coming and fulfilling promises and vows. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for shedding your blood that we could be one. We could be married forever with you. And so we celebrate your forgiveness, your grace, that we are one. And Lord, make our marriages one. Heal the marriages that are hurting in this room. Heal the marriages where there's distance and there's pain. Bring healing. And Lord, strengthen the marriages that are going the distance. Give them encouragement and vision and hope. And be with the singles here. Those that are saying, I, I want to I hold out for that vision. Oh God, as I pray for my daughters, I pray for those that are holding out. Would you bring godly, righteous men and women that we could share a vision of marriage, that we could heal this image and that our land would be whole again. Bless the singles. Maybe walk with them. And, and may, may, you, may they feel your presence today at the table. We thank you for this time. We celebrate your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.